Ed Mullins to the point. Today with me is Pete Panuccio and council member Sal Albany. Sal, welcome. Um, thank you, Ed. Previously, uh, I want to thank you publicly. You've always been very supportive of the members of the NYPD and law enforcement. I know you've always had a strong following in your own community and people are very supportive of you. So thank you for taking the time to spend some time with us and for everything you do. Um, I know we're all looking right now at what's taking place in the city of New York. It, it certainly seems that things are way out of control. And um, I, I think a good part of what we're witnessing is the result of a lot of the agendas that are being driven by city council in addition to the mayor and to the governor. And I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are and uh, how do you see this playing out right now? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, people are, uh, uh, the people that are in office now are, are blaming the pandemic for the uh, shootings, the skyrocketing shootings around the city. But the numbers began to spike before the pandemic. Six months before the shooting, the, the, the numbers were skyrocketing. Right? There's no doubt that the policies of the city council and the mayor have contributed to uh, to what we see out there um, in terms of shootings. There's no no more proactive policing. They have passed so-called reforms, which are really causing serious problems out there in terms of uh, officers trying to do their job. And uh, they're demonizing the cops. Uh, and, you know, we've seen... Before the pandemic, officers being uh, tossed with the waters being thrown at them, uh, just people resisting arrest. This is not this is not uh, rocket science. When you demonize law enforcement, you're going to have uh, people. You're actually brainwashing the public into into believing that the police officers are racist killers, which is totally untrue. The facts don't don't back that up, but. The, the policies are being driven by a small group, a very, very influential group of anti-police zealots. And the council and the mayor have not had the guts to, uh, to support law enforcement. And we're now seeing the, uh, we're seeing the end product of that. I mean, the diaphragm bill is a perfect example. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, anyone who knows anything about policing knows that at some point when somebody's resisting arrest, you're going to you're going to make contact with the diaphragm, uh, and and uh, it, it just it, things like that, little things like that, uh, are big uh, in terms of having officers, you know, think two or three times before acting. They're out there doing their job. They're doing the best they can with uh, with the policies that are emanating from City Hall. I I have said nobody. You should go back to my 2013 debate with de Blasio, and I said that he would be a disaster for public safety. I said that shootings would skyrocket. I predicted all of it. I, it's not it's not something that um, that was a mystery to me, because I, I mean, I was never a police officer, but I spent 15 years on the Public Safety Committee when I was on the council. Every year, I would go out on patrol with officers, and uh, just to get a sense of what they experienced. I was on, on a I was out with transit cops on midnight to eight shift, and I saw what they deal with, the anti-crime folks. The savvy the savvy cops who really know what's going on in the neighborhoods, they're basically, he's eliminated the anti-crime unit. Um, uh, de Blasio ran against the police department in 2013. I believe, by the way, that he started this whole, this whole anti-police agenda um, nationally. It's spread across the country. Nobody, nobody remembers, but I followed this very closely. Uh, he basically compared the police department to uh, Bill Connor's department in 2013. Racist, killers, the whole deal. And what was interesting is that I looked at polls uh, in 2013, which showed that stop and frisk was number 11, number 11 in terms of priorities in the minority community. It was not the major concern. Obviously, it was overused. There were quotas that can be modified. But the fact is that he ran against the department. He also contributed to having a couple of cops killed early on in his tenure. Um, so he's been the main problem. And then the city council um, is uh, Corey Johnson and some of the folks that are there uh, have bought into all of this and, and have, have, basically, have basically run an anti-law enforcement agenda for the last six or seven years that they've been in office and they just continue to do it 
Now they want to defund the police. Uh, I, I was around, Ed. Uh, you, I'm, I, you, you were around as well uh, when the police were defunded back in the back in the eighties. Uh, I did a I did a uh, I did a surprise uh, visit in three precincts um, uh, during uh, during the Dinkins administration with uh, a great report, Bob O'Brien from Channel Five News. We I got. I had information that there were basically no cars on patrol at midnight to eight. So I, with cameras rolling at two o'clock in the morning, we, we pulled into precincts. I go to the desk officer and I say, uh, officer, how many cars do you have out tonight? One, zero. Uh, we borrowed one from another precinct. It was a top story on Channel 5 News. And of course, homicides were going through the roof. Um, community police was out the window. And and as you remember, the, the officers had jobs backed up. They 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 were running from one job to the next because there was no. We had thirty thousand, uh, about twenty nine thousand officers. Now, of course, we passed the uh, uh, we pa we got the the tax uh, the personal income tax uh, proposal um, on the, the surcharge, which Dinkins and Valone negotiated, and we got we hired thousands of cops. When Giuliani, when Bratton and Giuliani came in, they had a fully staffed police force, uh, you know, about 38,000 38, officers. So, and the homicide rate began to drop uh, at the end of Dinkins' term, it, it, it dropped by about 13%. So, visibility, officers out there in uniform, they're a deterrent. I mean, that's why the transit workers are saying, we want to see, we want to see officers on the train. We want to see officers on our, on our buses. Because when you see a uniform cop, it's a deterrent, and we have not we have we've begun to defund the police, and we made the job impossible. I was reading something today, which is really scary. The Rhode Island State Troopers are so understaffed right now because nobody wants the job. Um, they they're, they're not getting, and this has become a problem in New York City. Recruitment has become a problem. People are saying, people in law enforcement are saying, I don't want my kids to be a cop. Uh, it's it's an impossible job. So we we've got a we got a big crisis in our hand, and we got to reverse it. And that's one of the reasons why I got into this race. Ed. Well, we're glad you got into the race, Pete. Uh, Sal just brought up a point of being back in the '80s, the shortage on patrol. Why don't you tell us about that? I know you were part of it. I was part of it. Um, you know, he, he covered it, but we were actually the people involved back then. Here's the difference. <clears throat> I remember reading a statistic. I was a rookie cop uh, in NSU 4 on the Upper West Side. On December 31st, I believe it was 1981, they released the number. We were about, this is how bad it was, 23,000 cops the NYPD, maybe six, 700 in housing, and about 3,000 in transit. The difference is, you know, we still had laws in place back then where we could do our jobs. Last night, you know, and back then we were overwhelmed. I mean, later on, jump ahead 10, 12 years, I was a detective in homicide. It was absolutely insane, the amount of uh, dead bodies that were piling up. The turnaround comes and basics. I mean, you talk about transit. When Bratton took over transit, as we say, Bratton 1.0, one of the first things he did Turnstile jumping and stopping people, checking them for warrants. What happens within a year? Subway crime plummeted. Um, you know, it was all the law life's new. If you go into transit, if you're in the subway doing your thing, the cops are going to, you know, they're going to be right on top of you. When you apply that citywide, everything drops. Crime drops. Um, and within a few years, we have a nice city again. What Everybody seems to be missing these politicians, uh, city council, all these people running for office, is that without public safety, we have nothing. At the end of 1993, this was a city that was on its knees. Could have went either way. And once we cleaned the city up, made it safe again, real estate booms, tourism booms. People start flooding back into the city. Businesses start to, you know, ramp up because it's safe. We no longer have that. But the tools that the cops need have been removed from them to enforce the law. The diaphragm law, the business with the qualified immunity, and, of course, what's going on with bail reform. The, the bail reform bill is absolutely one of the most insane 
things I've ever seen. Pete, uh, you mentioned Bratton when he came. He was um, all over the turnstile jump is and the fair beat is. Um, you know, Bratton point one. Bratton point two, he did away with that. And he actually opened up to just letting people, you know, jump the turnstile. Why do you think that is? Uh, I did. Different guy pulling, you know, holding the strings this time and uh, marching to a different drummer. Um, I think in his heart of hearts, he knows what works. He saw what happened the first time. Why he did this the second time, you know, it should have been, well, I can't I can't do this. You know, you're asking me to do something that I know inherently is going to lead to chaos. That's a personal decision for him. You know, I don't know if I can find within myself to work for somebody that's telling me that, Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring back mayhem and disorder and, you know, crime. Personal decision that affects thousands of lives. With that being said, Sal, just two nights ago in 81 Precinct, a police officer was shot. And one of the residents in that community is quoted in today's paper as saying, we recently moved into this neighborhood and it's beginning to feel like a war zone. What yep. would you tell that resident? right now in the state of the city or others looking to come to New York City or have thought about coming to New York City as you're chasing a city council seat? Well, I, what I would tell them is begin to begin to scrutinize the people that represent you and, 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 and ask them how they feel about public safety. Ask them how they feel about having officers uh, patrolling their neighborhoods. How do they feel about having an effective anti-crime team in the area that really made a difference in the past. I mean, that's really the bottom line is the politics of the city are twisted right now. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's almost bizarre that if you say something supportive of law enforcement, you're automatically become a pariah in some of these in some of these uh, public forums. It's just incredible. I what I Ed, what I'm seeing is that around the city now there seems to be. Uh, there seems to be a growing consensus. It's still in the minority in terms of being outspoken. That's moving towards a more common sense approach uh, towards law enforcement. I, I was I was happy to see that in the Asian community, for example, there are a couple of candidates running that are actually that are actually supported by the law enforcement unions, uh, and and that's a good thing. On the Upper West Side, I'm talking to a woman uh, who's running um, that's supported by the PBA. Uh, Maria Denzello, who's who's discussed what's going on there. This is a very, as you know, it's a very liberal neighborhood. Right. So I, I think that, you know, folks have to really begin to galvanize uh, around common sense. I mean, one of, one of the things I want to do is, if I get elected, is really go into people's districts and talk and talk to folks. Um, when I was campaigning for mayor, I went into public housing and, and they nobody was complaining about stop and frisk. They were saying, Mr. Albanese, we want to see more cops around here. We don't see any uniform cops. And, and, and that really is a common sense approach. I mean, obviously, um, you know, uh, there were a couple of high profile cases, right? That don't represent don't represent what average cops are doing out there, which are, which are driving the agenda. I mean, George Floyd, every. Every 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 union leader condemned what happened out there in New York City. I mean it, that it was, an, but it doesn't matter. These folks are. Uh, I believe there are groups out there that are trying to. Uh, they don't really care about. They don't really care about uh, uh, public safety. They want to erode our system. They're actually anarchists that are driving some of this stuff, and and it's very dangerous. And and I think you got to shut them down. You really can't appease these people. Because you'll never satisfy that they, they don't want a police force, um, and they they've they've impacted a lot of folks out there who are gullible and don't understand what's going on out there. Um, so I, I would tell that resident, I would tell that resident who's running for the city council in your area. What's their position on the diaphragm bill on anti-crime, uh, or plainclothes officers working to take guns off the street? That's what I would tell them. Just this morning, Yang was running for mayor mentioned that we need more cops, more cops in the subway. It, he previously was, you know, pro defunding the police. Right. I, I mean, he's, he seems to be changing his mind, apparently. Uh, it's my understanding, I didn't watch the mayoral debate last night, but it's my understanding that none of them uh, that were on the stage 
mentioned anything about the police officer being shot, and they all avoided talking about law enforcement issues. Um, how does any resident put any trust in any of these candidates when they're they're totally disregarding public safety? Well, Ed, that's a great point. I don't know, Pete. Uh, you may have seen my tweet yesterday, which got a tremendous, uh, a tremendous amount of likes. I, I went through the, after the, the young cop was shot in the middle of the night, I went through the tweets of all the mayoral candidates and not one, the only one who actually expressed concern was Eric Adams. None of those candidates even talked about the police officer who was shot. And last night it wasn't mentioned at all. I mean, Adams did mention it in his tweet early on, but that's about it. Yang, Yang has, the Yang-Adams thing is very interesting. What it tells me is that those two guys are in the lead because public safety, they, they're at least talking about public safety. Yang is out there now saying we can't defund the police. We need cops. So I, I think that's a hopeful sign, although I'm not a big fan of uh, either one. But but bottom line is, you know, as, as Marcus Aurelius said, you got to this is what you this is what you're dealing with. You don't complain about it. You, you do the best you can with what you have. So. Um, you know, uh, at least we, I know that the, I know that Cusick, for example, the guy who's out here on Staten Island, who's the county chairman, told me the other day that he told Yang that the only thing he cares about is public safety and property taxes. And Yang says, I'm going to be really supportive of, of police. That's what he said off the record. Uh, and and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat hopeful that, that, it, People are waking up around the city. You 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 can't have people being mugged and, and shot every day. Transit work. By the way, majority of transit workers are people of color, right? Conductors and and they're out there holding press conferences, begging for more cops. And yet you have people on the stage last night saying that they will not adding more officers to the subway. I mean, it's just incredible. Good De Blasio saying it's a myth that there's crime in the subway system. Uh, well, it's a myth that de Blasio is still, you know, thinking he's the mayor of New York. He's never once filled that role. Uh, you know, he just, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's a person who's living for free inside Gracie Mansion. He's done nothing but a city of New York other than he wrote it. Um, you know, that being said, you know, Yang is now moving pro-police. Um, Eric Adams, Pete, former NYPD member, Captain, retired, you know, captain. He's gone through all different ranks of the unions. Um, as he made statements regarding pro police. Yeah, Eric is slick. You know, he's. I got to give him credit where credits though. He's a cagey fellow. Um, you know, last night you can see he's definitely. Eric Adams knows one thing: that the city lives and dies on public safety. He knows that. Absolutely knows it to his core. Does he want to alienate the angry people out there? No, he doesn't want to alienate people either. But Eric is going to go whichever way he needs to. Um, you know, well, one thing, like Yang, I think, just has a collective lack of knowledge. Just like this, something's missing about his whole grip on New York City. He's like some guy that got here last week, you know. He thinks he's got an idea. You know, but he doesn't. He, he the guy may be got here last week, but he certainly knows a lot more than the Blasio has been here for the last oh, eight years. This is true, but Yang still hasn't figured out the difference between a delicatessen and a bodega. But you know what? He's not stupid either. He's no, picking he's... up on what Sal mentioned, the vibe. People, there's an undercurrent that's going on here right now. People want public safety. Last night, watching this crew with this um, uh, debate, you know, some some touched on it peripherally. Nobody gave any real specifics. You know, oh, maybe I'll bring back anti-crime or whatever. Not one of them brought, went in, did a deep dive and turned around and said, until criminal justice reform is revoked, until bail reform is revoked, until the diaphragm law is gone and the qualified immunity situation is done with, cops cannot safely do their jobs. We have we can have a hundred thousand cops, but if we don't have the tools, or I should say, I'm retired now. If the cops don't have the tools that they need to enforce the law, we're just wasting our time here. Um, you look at what's now considered a nonviolent felony: robbery, two, burglary, two, arson, 
I'm like, are these people insane? I mean, really? Um, well, they're locking people up for robberies and burglaries left and right, and they're getting a desk appearance ticket in the station house. Well, Pete, that's a that's great, a great point. I mean, you've got people running from Manhattan DA that are basically saying we're not going to prosecute anybody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you've got you've got a couple that are that are uh, Crotty and 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 Weinstein that seem reasonable, uh, but you've got about four or five candidates that are basically saying they're running for DA. Uh, and they don't want to prosecute anybody. I'm looking forward to seeing that election in Philadelphia with this guy Krasner is being, oh, yeah. uh, versus Vega. Um, I'd love to see that guy lose. It would send a message because Philadelphia is also out of control. Um, and and uh, on his tenure has been a disaster there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think what, one of the things I like about Ed Mullins is he, he disdains de Blasio as much as I do. I think I think he's been the worst mayor in the history of the city, and people people uh, don't understand how bad this guy is. He's lazy, he's incompetent, and he's caused he's caused grievous damage. I mean, th this whole thing started in 2013 when he basically ran against the police department, and it, it all started. It escalated from there. I mean, uh, it's incredible. If you remember, you remember when those two officers were shot. There were people protesting in the streets yelling, what do we want, dead cops? When? Now? The Blasio didn't say a word about it. I mean, it's incredible. And, and, and uh, of course, he's a chameleon. Now he shows up, you know, he shows up at the uh, site of police shootings and talks about the heroic officers. It's all fraudulent. It really is. Deep down inside, I give the Blasio credit for one thing. His incompetency has been consistent for the last yes. few years, Okay. He is definitely a chameleon. Um, he does not support the police. He did learn one thing that he could not survive in this city without the police. And that's why he's trying to make nice. He realizes that the police and the police unions um, do not respect him. And to go forward as mayor without having the backing of law enforcement is detrimental to the mission that he's trying to achieve. He, he just simply can't do it. See, I, I believe, you know, we're missing the point here. De Blasio is a unifier. I would say probably about 80% of the people in this city are unified in their disgust and outright hatred of this guy. Um, left, and, left and right. <laughs> oh, man. That's something that all parties agree on. He's a horrible mayor. And... Uh, well, you know, I, I, I've said that repeatedly. You know, I don't think there's been – maybe Ed's a bigger critic, uh, but I, I've been the most vociferous critic of Bill de Blasio for eight years. I mean, uh, he's he, – and I – I mean, I should send you a copy of the piece that I sent down in 2013 predicting everything that we see today. I mean, uh, it, it, a piece of literature. I mean, it, and, uh, you know, I think people will kind of, uh, you know, Bloomberg was in office. People were kind of laid back and, and you know, they weren't really paying attention. 13% of the people turned out to vote in that primary. So you got Bill de Blasio. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's where it all starts. People got, people have to engage. They really have to engage. So you mentioned back in, you know, I it was, 2012, you said it did. There was a poll of what the concerns were in the black community. And number 12, I think it was that you said was stop and frisk. That's right. Do you remember what the top three were? Uh, I think it was jobs, housing, uh, jobs, housing. Um, I, I have to dig it out. But I, I know the jobs and housing were like the top two. Um, so for uh, the most part, if it's jobs and housing, what we have today, you know, eight years later, is complaints from NYCHA, right? That, that people are just not satisfied with the housing. Jobs are still an issue yep. in the minority community. And worse yet is this whole Black Lives Matter movement, um, understanding it's a different agenda in a sense of, of what their topic is. But uh, the shootings and the violence in the city of New York are mainly the victims of mainly young black men that have been well, killed. And so what has really improved under this mayor or these elected officials for the African-American community? Oh, you, you, you made a good point. I think, at Pete, watching the debate last night, you saw that Eric Adams did point out that 95% of the victims yeah, he did. Are, are people of color. He said. So, you know, it, the whole thing is bizarre. I mean, of course, the police are going to have more contact in those communities because 
you, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, you're going to have some crime, more crime there. The calls are coming in from the minority community. Of course, you're going to have more contact with the minority community. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's the whole thing. The whole thing does. Nobody brings that up. Adams brought it up last night. Uh, the fact is, under this mayor, nothing's changed. He, he pretty much NYCHA was a disaster. Um, it was physically collapsing under, under his tenure when he was at HUD. And now he became the mayor, and, and, and it, it got worse. I mean, homelessness is at a record level in this city. I mean, it's incredible. Um, and the police have been charged with all of these responsibilities. I mean, uh, homeless shelter, right? You guys, you, guys, you guys are training the agents in that office. He gave you, he gave you that responsibility, the uh, homeless security guards. That well, we, we keep getting more responsibility. You know, just recently, former chief of department Monahan was doing an interview with Rosanna Scotto. And, you know, he's in a new role, as, as I guess the unifier, as Pete described, with other city agencies. And he was talking about how it's going to help bring the economy back. But it's, you know, the police are there to help get these agencies on track and, and to do, you know, execute their jobs, which is really untrue. That's not what our role is. Like right. we're not there to facilitate teachers or firemen or social workers. That's not what we're there to do. We're there to assist whenever it is, there's an issue for something. And it, to me, again, it just seems like the Royal hand job coming from city hall, that this is what's taking place. You know, social workers that we talk about sending therapists to deal with the mentally ill, just on the news this morning, they don't want to do it. They're fearful right. of doing it, and they need to do it with law enforcement. The reason we travel to aided cases, you know, with the EMS personnel, uh, is A, to document an aided, but more importantly, it was to protect the EMTs that were responding to these uh, aided. And, and this goes way back, I, I believe, into the 60s or 70s, where paramedics and, and the EMTs were being assaulted. So, you know, the police are basically the plug for every little leak that happens. And this is a narrative that's been defined by the news media that is completely untrue and is turning society upside down. I, I do think it goes to what you said earlier, as far as uh, uh, almost anarchists in the sense of overthrown government. Hey, Ed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, real quick. Last night when you watched, I'd say probably six out of eight candidates, everything was like this meld. Like they were making this smorgasbord of police services and social services. Here we go. And crisis teams, violence interrupters. All right. Everybody, just my point of view, all right, we're here to enforce the law. Everybody should stay in their own lane, okay? And this is, like Sal said, this is taking hold across the nation. Oh, we'll have violence interrupters, you know, we'll do it in Portland, in Seattle, um, all this touchy-feely, you know. Listen, yeah. I didn't become a cop to become a social worker, okay? Did I become a cop to help people? Yeah. But it's not my job as a police officer to cure all the ills of society, all right? We have a specific function, all right? It's not, to, I mean, you listen to some of this insanity that they would, I think they just get out and like, Let's fling it against the wall and see what sticks here. But this is this is a nationwide thing where everybody would, you know, oh, yeah, social workers. Social workers don't want to do it. Well, what's happening in Harlem right now is that the Blasio set up that experimental program with EMTs responding, especially trained EMTs responding to EDP calls. <laughs> they don't want to do it. They're afraid to do it. I mean, I, I uh, when I was on the council back in the late 80s, I, I hear... I looked at New Orleans. They had a program where they had specially trained mental health workers responding, but the cops were right there with them. They 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 were they were they were there just in case things got out of hand. Um, because as you know, some of these things could turn violent very quickly. So so most of the people that are proposing this stuff have never handled an EDP job. An EDP job, emotionally disturbed person, can go from zero to sixty in under a second. You yep, know. Yep. That guy can be talking to you like, oh, yeah, yeah. And the next thing, you are in the fight of your life. And, uh, you know, the thing into that, what you just said is a thousand percent true. And we all seem to forget what changed significantly in handling these EDP jobs with Eleanor Bumpers, 1984, 
you know, she was handled by social workers to the point where the violence became uh, an issue and the police had to get involved. So it, it's proven going back to 1984 that it doesn't work with sending in social workers. Now, that's not to say that they can't be helpful, but right. we're also putting people in harm's way uh, if we're sending them in there alone. It, it, no different than we do that with EMTs. I don't, I don't blame any EMT for not wanting to go there without a police response because we see what happens when we go there. You know what, Ed? A lot of these horrible stories we see on the news where the police wind up engaging with an emotionally disturbed person, that person winds up dead. All the focus is on the cops. They just hammer the, like the issue with the cop that shot the girl with the knife. Okay, that cop got involved with that girl for the last 20 seconds of her life. There was never any anything there before, but that was 15 years of social services going on in that girl's life. A family that didn't take care of her, a social services system that failed her. Okay, but let's focus on that cop who had a split second to make that decision. Well, let's and, focus on that, Pete, because we happen to have a cop as one of my members, and Sergeant Barry, who did exactly that. Um, he responded to an EDP, a violent EDP, and, you know, the they were waiting for emergency service. The job changes, as you well know. This was in a 4-3 prison about four years ago. That, and, that's my case. That the department... With the baseball bat, and um, you know, the, uh, I'm trying to think what her name was at the top of my head. Deborah, I think it was Deborah Dahmer. Yeah, Miss yeah, Dahmer. Right. She she was shot, and you know, while attempting to swing at him with a baseball bat after putting down a scissors. Now, we we talk about sending in social workers and, and uh, paramedics and all of this stuff. At the end of the day, we have a scissor and a baseball bat and an action. And the action was swinging a bat at someone's head. What took place then was, and this came from de Blasio, I just learned this a couple nights ago, that uh, they wanted him suspended, modified that night. Uh, apparently, Commissioner O'Neill at the time disagreed. He had to turn around and go back to speak to de Blasio, who was calling for this. So we are now taking an, an issue when there's a police officer involved with a split-second decision and we're Monday morning quarterbacking it minutes later and changing the individual's career. And this is the type of stuff that really has to stop. I mean, why would anyone want to go through this process? But yet we have a broken situation here. We have, we have that situation. I, I think we discussed this in the past. Residents of the building said, Hey, this is not a news flash here. 15, years, years. 15, 15 years. years. Right. People were terrified. When she was in the lobby, because she was nuts, and uh, but let, let's focus on the last couple of minutes and blame Sergeant Barry. And that's exactly what they're doing. And speaking of the last couple of minutes, 108 p.m. MTA Chair Pat Foyd is pleading for more cops in the subway system after five more people were attacked overnight. Uh, city says NYPD has added more offices. So he, here's what's taking place minutes ago, begging for more cops on the subway. 12 minutes apart this morning, three people slashed. Uh, what do we have the mayor doing? Eating French fries, telling people you can get free French fries. This <laughs> is the big uh, it's, it's sad, Ed. It's very sad. It, it's it's no longer to the point of being sad. It's incompetence yep. at its highest levels, and it's to the point where you almost wish that there's a recall like they have in California to pull him out of here before more people die. There's Chief Coleman on our screen taking another knee. I mean, this is how he will forever be remembered. Take the knee. Yeah, he, he embarrassed himself. You know, by the way, on the recall mechanism, I have been I've been uh, talking about that for a long time. The state, we don't have a recall mechanism in New York. I think Cuomo would have been recalled and de Blasio would have been recalled if we had it. Uh, I've, I've begged the state legislature to, and you guys should look at this as well because you've got contacts up in Albany. This is a good government measure. We should introduce uh, and pass a recall mechanism. We're stuck with these people. Um, you know, so... Uh, de Blasio would have been recalled, no doubt about it, if we had Sal, Sal, quick question. Can they be removed from office, though? 
No, nah, I mean, they can, but the, uh, it's never going to happen. I, I mean, mean, if they're convicted of a felony or something, they can't yeah, be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be convicted of a felony, sure. But, that, you know, I mean, de Blasio got away with murder. I mean, he should have been indicted over pay to play. Uh, there's no doubt about it. The, the, the U.S. attorney and the D.A. in Manhattan both said that he, 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 did, he conducted illegal activity. And you know what's out? That's it. That we could do a whole nother hour just on the grifting and the scamming oh, that's yeah. going on within yeah. the Blasio. Maya, Wiley, Maya Wiley's concerned about uh, police misconduct, but she was she's not concerned about police about political corruption. She was in the middle of pay to play scandal when Ju when she was counsel to uh, to De Blasio. I mean, the stuff that they engaged in is incredible. I mean, they had they had folks that were lobbyists, right? that had clients before the city deputizing them as agents of the city. Could you imagine that? They became advisors. At the same time, they're representing folks. And, and, and it's just unbelievable. Maya Wiley is, should be embarrassed to even talk about, uh, talk about public policy and, and pay-to-play corruption. I just like to know where the billion dollars went from Thrive NYC. Oh, just, just a matter of curiosity. Now we're never going to find right. out. We're gone to French fries. That's where it is right now. Here's That's a lot of French logo. fries. Here's a new logo for the city of New York that was sent to me. Oh and God! This yeah. is what's occurring. This is what the public thinks of what's occurring in the city. And we have a mayor selling French fries. We have people begging for more cops on the subway, and a bunch of mayoral candidates that are living in in fantasy world that. Public safety is not an issue. It's terrible. It's terrible. No doubt about it. Um, on the on the positive side, I got a call yesterday from one of the controller candidates, um, this Weprin, who wants, uh, who just got endorsed. I think you guys endorsed him as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to endorse him next week. It seems like it seems like there are people out there running for office that that may care about public safety. And aren't out there demonizing the cops. I I, I want to make sure Brad Lander and uh, oh. like that guy. That guy's he's dangerously he's a, he's the worst. I mean Corey Johnson's no is a little bit better, but those those two guys should be defeated. I like to see Weapon win. So, um, oh, oh. hey Sal, you just triggered me. You said Brad Lander. Okay, oh, you yeah. want to see me fly off the handle? What a hit! Let's talk. That I man, that man is a hypocrite. He really is. He's the worst. He's also insane. I mean, oh, yeah. he's really out of his mind. Well, he was out there. He was out there enticing folks to violate the curfew during the summer, if you remember. He's a public official, and there's a curfew in place to try to minimize, you know, the violence out there. He's out there. He's out there arguing with the cops. I mean, uh, him and Jamani Williams. It's just incredible. On top of being that, he's also a public menace with the way he drives, with his 118 <laughs> parking tickets, his eight red light summonses. But, you he, know, did we have him an opportunity to come on and speak with us, Brad Landon? Uh, I asked Justin Brannon if he wanted to come on, and uh, it's been radio silence ever since. Brannon was was nailed pretty good yesterday. They had a person, uh, I believe, when Gentile had the office uh, over in Bay Ridge. There were some issues with the with the young man had autism, and apparently, uh, Brannon being one of them really gave this kid a hard time and he just settled his lawsuit yesterday for eight hundred fifty thousand. now brandon who's one of those guys that would love to take qualified immunity away from the cops i'd be like hey he justin voted for, he voted for the diaphragm bill too by the way yes he did i'm like hey justin how about we take qualified immunity away from council members okay you're 850 you're part you're a major part of that lawsuit uh, he's another guy maintaining radio silence today. Um, but Landa's out of his mind. I, I've spoken to Landa. I'm actually probably going to be speaking to him again this weekend. He's going to be over in uh, Chelsea. Um, you know. Pete, invite him to the show because, you know, one thing is, the, you know, people make decisions and they they think that they're doing God's work. Let, invite him on and let them answer for it. You know, and, and they'll be treated with ultimate respect, but let them answer for their actions, extend them the invitation, and see how much courage they have to defend their positions. Yeah, he, he won't, Ed, because, it, you know, first off, there's a lot of cops over in the 7-8, precinct area. They've had run-ins with them. There's not like cops. Let's, you know, and let, right him up. let him come on and say he doesn't like cops. We'll be happy to have him. We'll put the empty chair here until he decides to show up. 
you know, but but here's the whole thing about Landon. Everything, if you follow his Twitter feed, it's everything but the position of New York City controller. It's climate change. It's inequality. It's injustice. It's all nonsense. He's not even from New York City either. I mean, he's he's making policy for New York City, but he's only been here since like 2003, 2004. Yeah, he, um, you know... He, he's actually he's a dangerous person in my eyes. Um, well, he's, you know, he's he's more he's more energetic than Bill De Blasio, so he does have a lot of energy. I agree on that. He actually gets up. He actually gets up on time, and 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 you know, he's and, the gym on time. <laughs> uh, as always said about Bill De Blasio, he's punctual. He gets to City Hall at the crack of noon. Um, <laughs> Seven more months, my friends. <laughs> a lot can get worse in seven more months. Uh, that's true. It can do a lot more damage. Yeah. But uh, but I, I I'm cautiously optimistic, guys. That I think we may we may hopefully be turning the corner. I, I hear more and more people coming to their to their senses. Uh, at, at what point? At what point can uh, can we continue this kind of stuff? I mean, we you know we went through it back in the set. We went through this, and it's really bad news. And hopefully people will wake up. You know, Sal, I agree with you. I think somewhere along the line, uh, this is going to correct itself. But it's going to correct itself by the people like us, the other men and women in the street, and people who actually do care to push back. For a very long time, people have sat silent. And, you know, we keep flashing this photo of Chief Monaghan. You said he embarrassed himself. He actually embarrassed every name on a wall of one police plaza when he did that. Men and women died wearing that uniform. And, you know, people like him are part of the reason why we're in the situation we're in, because they didn't lead. They didn't stand up for things that were right. And, you know, this is where things need to change. And with that, I, I want to read you a response to one of Germani Williams's tweets that he put out. It says, how are we going to deal with gun violence while walking on eggshells? We can't even be honest about the fact that gang culture has become ingrained in black culture and things of that nature. How do we, as people trying to correct these problems, you as a, a, an elected official, hopefully everything goes right. How do we get into the communities of color and make those changes with some type of trust where you know, we can really call it the way it is to say, look, th this is where the bodies are growing. Uh, we know that there's a housing issue. We know that there's a, a job issue. But at the end of the day, we're not the bad guy. And this is happening amongst your, your own people that, that we got to find a way to fix it. Now, I've been working with the churches throughout the city. What other suggestions do you have? Oh, I, I think that's the way to go. And I think that's you've got to go into the churches and and, and uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, uh, I don't know if, if you know Richard Green in Crown Heights. Yes, yes. Those are the kinds of folks, very, very good guy. Has a tr I, I walked around with him in Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights. He has tremendous street credibility. Uh, and de Blasio has basically shunted him aside. The, the, there are people like that all over the minority community who have who have common sense. And I, and I think the black community is pretty, like every other community, they're pretty savvy. You go into the churches, you start talking to them about common sense. This is a majority minority police department now at all levels. Um, and, and I think I think you, you can convince uh, those folks uh, that, uh, uh, that the police are trying to help them. They're not trying to exploit them. They're not trying to brutalize them. Um, I think, I think for the most part, and I've done that. I, I've been working, you know, in the communities for a while with Bishop Seabrook and members of his coalition. And uh, people, the people in those communities, understand that the police are there. They are, they want them there. But I think what happens is we get that one incident, and it changes everything because the media magnifies it without yes. telling the truth. You know, they show a five-second clip of a video, but they leave out the first 30 seconds that led to the finale. Um, you know, we tell the story of what occurred, and I'm going to go back to Ferguson, Missouri, of hands up, don't shoot. I mean, what we've done as a result of that is we've changed the nation on a lie. That's what we did, a total lie we yep. changed the nation on. And the media has had no accountability for this. Zero. The, the facts just didn't add up. 
the officer involved lost his job. He's been banished to someplace else in life. And it was all based on a lie. Yep. And no one defends these issues. No one explains this. So the end result, if we look at Ferguson, Missouri, we, we lost the community. We, we lit it on fire. We rioted. it. We looted. it. We burnt it to the ground, all based on a lie. And who suffered? It's the people in that community. It's tragic that that it happened. It really is. The media is irresponsible. I mean, the Justice Department looked at that. The, the guy never had his hands up. I mean, that was Barack Obama's Justice Department. Nobody cares. I mean, it's just incredible. Well, I think that this stuff, there are a lot of people make uh, – this is so polarizing. People make money from polarization. Let's face it. Uh, lawyers do, and, and and folks. I mean, it's and it sells newspapers. The Daily News has been irresponsible in the seat. Exploiting, exploiting incidents for clicks. That's what they're doing. And all these, as you pointed out, all of these high-profile cases are nuanced. It's com complex. They forget the police officers. Are allowed to use force when somebody when somebody's resisting arrest. You get a video of a not of a cop tackling somebody to the ground, and all of a sudden it's a brutality issue. When in fact the guy was or the guy was resi resisting arrest. I think we need to do a lot of PR about what the job is about, and I think you're, you're doing the right thing going into the community. If elected to the council, um, would you be willing to commit and work with the council? Uh, toward creating public service announcements that, that show policing. And you, you pretty much touched on, I've been working on this for a while, but it becomes expensive to do independently. But what we see in the street, and Pete will know this, and you did a ride along, so you're going to understand this, is what we see in the street is different from what other people see in the street. And if we take people through scenarios, just a, tip, a typical car stop of someone going through a light, as to why I approach the driver's side with my hand on my firearm, why I tap the back of your car or tell you to roll the windows down. We educate the public, and in the same time we're doing that, we could also educate the police as to how they are talking to people and the response that, yes, I went through the light, and the mom behind the wheel says, I was nervous. I'm trying to pick my kid up. I'm running late. That's a very reasonable and understanding excuse for someone that we don't have to give them a summons. And I would also think, you know, we talk about reform, and Pete, you know better than anybody, that every day police stop vehicles throughout the city, and we don't issue summonses. But we have no documentation for a warning. We gave you a warning. So when the time comes that we show the police have issued you know, 5 million summonses and they're all against people of color. We have nothing to measure to say, wait a minute, we issued 10 million warnings and, and nothing happened. Um, I, I believe the city won't do that because they lose the revenue stream. But well, we Ed, I'm going to tell you something, though. But that is, there's tens of millions of interactions between police officers and civilians every year. That's my point. We, we focus on the half dozen that go south. You Correct. know, about 30 years ago, I'm driving through Georgia in the middle of the night, and I get pulled over. And the prototype old Southern sheriff kind of guy comes up to the car, and he says, he says, son, you're doing 84 miles an hour on my highway. He says, the governor don't do 84 miles an hour on my highway. So I'm like, oh, man. Uh, you know. I says, you know, I'll explain to him. I says, I'm sorry, you know, just, you know. New York City police officer, this and that. And I, to his credit, I mean, he had me on edge. I was a little bit scared. Sure. Not that, you know, I'm not worried about getting dragged out of the car and shot dead or anything like that. But, you know, he comes up to me and he says, son, because here you go. You get in the state of Georgia, courtesy warning summons. That protects me in case you make an allegation against me. I started laughing. So I don't think I'll be making an allegation. He says, I know you won't. But he says, I'll tell you what, a lot of other people do. And he says, this is how we documented. We were standing on the side of the road, carrying on, talking for an hour. But, you know, that would be an excellent idea. You know what? We're so into quantifying statistics. Let's quantify the positives. Look, excuse me, statistics. There you go. Um, <laughs> you that. There's a caption for that one. All out of French fries. Let's see that again. Can we get that? <laughs> All out of French fries. There's your caption. What do I do now? 
But, but you know what, Ed? That's a great idea. And i just like to bring up one other point. We were talking about the community-based outreach and everything. Our media is driven by this small percentage of angry people that seem hell-bent on destroying the country and just everything. And the media focuses on them because I think half the media is in with them. But that said, you mentioned the Brooklyn church groups. There's a hell of a lot more people involved with church groups than there are with these other outlier, uh, you know, anarchists and BLM and ACAB. And the community, the church groups in the community, we do the same thing in the Bronx. And we are talking directly to the people. That's and you know what? That's not that, those that, are huge that's, numbers that's of people. Stuff, that's that's very very good stuff. We need to do a lot more of that. If I if I if I win, uh, that's the kind of stuff I I plan on doing. Well, we're here with you, Sal. We'll be yeah. happy to do it with you and go around the city because we need to talk to people and we need to also hear people. We we need to hear what they're saying. Ed, you're 100% right. Uh, and, and ordinary people have to be heard in their common sense. We're letting the agenda be driven by these fanatics, by the Brad Landers of the world. I mean, uh, it's just unbelievable. I, I think most people, I know this. I'm, listen, I was a school teacher. I taught in the ghetto for 11 years. I, I know exactly. I, I, uh, I coached kids of color. I, I, they are reasonable people. If you And if, if they're allowed to interact and they get a sense that we care uh, all of this stuff is going to break down because the politicians are cowards they're off i know a lot of them they're they're cowards uh, they, they will they will they will immediately switch uh, they will immediately switch gears i i don't have much respect for them i really don't i mean i i you know i i got lucky i was elected uh, in 1982 and then i went back to the private sector uh, i i know these people they're gutless. A lot of them are unemployable, and they will if if the public, if the public, uh, like the churches in, in, in those communities, start start talking about, you know, we want common sense policing. We want officers out here. They will shift gear immediately because they don't I have think we need to get to the public. And we need to do is instill in the public that the government belongs to the people. Yeah, and we need to teach that in all the communities because. You know, most people just vote. A lot of people vote because they have nothing to do. Some people don't vote because they got to get to work. They're afraid of doing jury duty. But the importance of that vote has a detrimental effect to your community if you don't vote. And you have to pay attention to what's going on. Absolutely. And that being said, talking about protecting people, Pete, you're forbidden from ever going south, driving alone, especially on midnight. No more for you. That's it. And you're and you're you're Italian. There aren't that many Italians down there. You got you're gonna be very no. careful. You're remaking my cousin Vinny all over again. <laughs> uh, well, where, where do we go from here? Well, I I, I think that uh, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, I I really do believe that we need we you know we need an educational effort, uh, especially in the minority community. I think that. The fact that there are now more minority cops, uh, you, you take a guy like Rodney Harrison out there, who's chief of the department. He's seen, I talk to cops. They seem to like him. Rodney's uh, a good guy. His heart's in the right spot. Um, yeah, I mean, this will probably get him fired if anyone hears it, but he is a good guy. He's a highly respected chief. Well, this is what I'm saying, Ed. I mean, in the old days, when you know, the minority community would complain, you know, all these Irish and Italian cops, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and and a lot of those cops did a great job, but the the fact is that the department now is diverse. It's majority minority, and we need we need to get out there and start shifting public opinion. We have a lot of problems with the press, as Pete pointed out. We have a lot of young reporters out there for whatever reason are anti police. You got the Gotham Gazette. These people are out there looking to to to, uh, to really minimize what the police are doing and and and. Uh, really exploit situations. So that's part of it as well. I think PR is important. I think pointing out what you said, there were 5 million stops every year uh, that the cops make and, you know, 99% of them uh, are, are uh, nothing happens. And people don't know that. People don't know that. They take these high profile cases and they, and they, and they get exploited and blown up. So I think education is important. 
And one of the things I want, I mean, I think I know a lot about your job, obviously not as much as you guys, but you know, I've, I've sat on a committee for 15 years. I've written op-ed pieces. I wrote a piece for Newsweek. I wrote a piece for the Times when I went out on patrol. So I, I know enough that I can really make some cogent arguments, not just yelling and screaming, just uh, the, the kind of discussion we're having that I think people will will uh, will understand, and I think we can shift we can shift the the public opinion. But it's going to take work. There's no doubt about it. You know, I'm president nearly 20 years for the SBA, and never once did a city council member call up and say, "Hey, let's talk about a new initiative that was going to come out, or what are your thoughts on it?" And you know, I commend you for going out in the cars and and talking to the cops and, and finding out what's taking place. But at the end of the day, unless you are out there doing that job, I couldn't tell you, you know, much about what other jobs are about. I've never experienced it. You know, we look at it whether we can look at sanitation and say, well, they just pick up garbage. It, well, tell me more about what goes on in a job. You know, firemen, are the same thing, teaching the same thing. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly what everybody does specifically. And the only way you can have that impact is by talking to them direct. And, and I think that that needs to happen more. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Ed, are you going to churches on a regular basis now? Or? I do. I'm working pretty closely with um, Clark Pena, who's a community advocate in the Bronx. Tony Herbert, who's running against Jermani Williams. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like Tony Seabrook, and and I got to give uh, Councilman Cabrera a lot of credit. I mean, he is really trying to take care of his people in the Bronx. Um, he's going to be one of our guests, and we're working with him. We're actually hoping to put a, a gym of, for cops and kids in the Bronx and get one into every borough of the city. That's a program that um, is being run by Pat Russo out of uh, Sunset. Pat, well, everybody seems to know Pat. You, you land in the Sahara Desert and you say, you know Pat Russo, but uh, <laughs> he's done a phenomenal job with this yeah. program. And yeah, he's excellent. He's put kids and we have Olympians and, you know, professional fighters. He, some of them are first grade detectives today. So, you know, although it's boxing and it may seem raw to people, it's where tough kids go. Uh -huh. it gets them off the street, it gets them out of gangs. But, um, you know, getting that message into the communities through the churches and through council members who care, uh, we have an impact. Ed, have you talked to the uh, Industrial Areas Foundations, the East Brooklyn congregations? No, I have not. Yeah, that's that's a very powerful group. Uh, that, uh, I, know some, I know some people there. I think they'd like to work with uh, with the offices. Uh, I remember being in a room with uh, with them in Brooklyn, a huge auditorium when they built those the Nehemiah houses okay. in East New York, yep. and they had they had Dunn. Remember remember Dunn? Uh, he was he was the chief of the department. Joe Dunn. Yeah, Joe Dunn. Good Joe, guy. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, I think he was a Brooklyn South commander in those days, a Brooklyn North. Brooklyn and, and they they asked him. They asked him specifically and followed up about conditions they wanted cleaned up with drugs, with gangs, because their neighborhoods. You know, they were building these beautiful these homes, and they and they held the cops accountable. But they loved the cops. I mean, if they did their if they did their job, if they cleaned up conditions. But those folks are are a group you should reach out to because they're very very influential. I would appreciate any help on that. And yeah. also, Sal, is that, you know, I, I remember as a kid, I'm sure we all will remember, you'd be watching an NFL game, which I don't watch anymore, but um, they would come on with a commercial for the Big Brother, Big Sister program. And members of the NYPD, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, we coach. We coach teams, you know, in our own communities where we're living. We coach our kids' teams, and some of them is just coaching because they want to coach. But we should really work on some type of big brother, big sister program where yep. we're mentoring these children who, in many cases, they don't, you know, have fathers at home or they have single parent households. Uh, you, you can mentor one child in a house, but knowing the way it works out, there could be three or four. The reality is you're mentoring several kids and you're encouraging them about school, you're encouraging them about sports. But, you know, it's a venue to go down and, and try to get the cops in there because this community policing that we talk about is really bullshit. It's not what anybody thinks it is. Um, there are a handful of members of it who really try to do a good job. But at the end of the day, I see no value in showing Twitter photos of 
you know, cops who are dancing in streets and trying to show that they relate to uh, the community by getting hit with water balloons. I, I find it embarrassing. And what are we really changing? It's a photo op. Um, I still have not figured out how the little old lady crossing the street gets her photo on Twitter by a cop who's helping her. Do we bring her across and bring her back and say, let's do it again? Like, how does this happen? But, um, you know, I, I think we got to get in and win over the hearts of people. And yep. I think we do that through the kids. Absolutely. What do you think? What do you think about what's happening in Newark with 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 the with uh, with the police there? I apparently uh, the mayor there um, mocked these white liberals when they wanted to defund the police, um, and it seems like uh, I it seems like he uh, he seems to be doing some positive things there with policing. What you have you followed it at all? I have been following it. Uh, you know, John Crystal is president of uh, Newark you know, offices over there, I, I talk to pretty regularly. Um, we consider Newark the sixth borough of New York City when we go back and forth. Um, they are making some headway uh, on some of the issues. Uh, so far, you know, they seem to be working together, but I don't know the overall success. Right. Newark has been a city under siege for a very long time. Um, we probably, I wish I had the photo, we can show de Blasio taking a peek at Newark from the Empire State Building telling us it was New York. Um, but <laughs> I did see, I saw that on you. I did see that. Um, but, you know, that's a city, I, I, I gotta be honest, I, I've been to Newark a few times with the Newark police and that city has a lot of potential if someone actually cares. Yeah. International airport, you have a huge shipping industry that's right, right nearby. I mean, you want to talk about a project for development, that's a city that you could really bring back, uh, you know, with, with you know, business and residents. It's a short trip from New York where the rents are skyrocketing. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. You get professional sports teams. Uh, hopefully that city does turn itself around. Yeah, I mean, the mayors, I mean, I don't know much about the guy, but he was a high school principal um, and, and seems to, I mean, what I've, the clips I've seen, Mocking these white liberals who want to who want to erode the police is uh, is interesting and and uh, I don't know much about his record but it seems like he's he's got a I think he's got a white police commissioner too which is interesting in the city. I'm not that, sure about that, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic. You know, we should actually, you know, we, we you just say a white police commissioner. Our jobs, whatever the job may be, should really go to the best people. Uh, absolutely, it, it, we shouldn't be describing like you know. Who's the next police commissioner to be for New York? It's going to be a woman, a male, a female. You know, it, it should always come down to who's the best person. And, you know, if the person is a person of color, then they get the job. If they're not that person, that's why they didn't get the job. But we really need to look at that because um, I've seen several white police commissioners in the NYPD, and I've been through quite a few, and I'm still here, um, who are horrible commissioners. Oh, I agree. I agree. Totally horrible commissioners. And our chief of department, who's African American, is doing a great job. So when you look at this, you know we just can't go by, uh, you know, race. We should get to the best people, and and that's what's missing here. Well, identity politics, unfortunately, is is a disaster. I uh, mean, there's got to be more of us. To keep we, we could, Ed, we could spend another four hours talking about that. We're gonna have you back, Sal, and um, you know we're gonna have to wrap up. I I can see we're over the time, but. I, I do want to thank you for coming on. It, this was really interesting. I'd like to have you back. Anything else we can do going forward to help you in this campaign? We really want to see you win. I hope you do. Pete, Pete I'll let you finish out, Pete. And thank you. Thank you, Pete. You're very welcome. Pete? Great session. You know, a lot of, lot of good ideas passed around. Um, I, you know, we, we, it's tough to keep a positive outlook. It really is. You know, you try and then you deal with somebody like Brad Land or you listen to uh, de Blasio. But so the I'm truth is, right, I'm sorry. But the truth is, you know what? We don't give up. You don't quit. You keep fighting. Uh, you know, we, me and you were city kids. We've been here our whole lives. Same with Sal. So what do we do? We just, you know, roll over, play we dead. We're real city kids that we fight. That's what we do. You know, we we're going to keep fighting. And yeah, I think Sal, Sal's on to something. I think the the undercurrent is starting to move in, in a different direction now. I agree. I agree. And, and the positive outlook that I, I think let's leave everybody with is P.O. Vogel. 
who police officer Vogel who carried that four-year child. When you watch the video of her running a four-year-old to the ambulance in Times Square, um, probably one of the proudest moments I've I can say I've seen as a member of the NYPD that what she did um, was what 35,000 other cops would do. And she spoke for everyone that day. Um, She's my hero. I love what she did. I love the attention she got for it, but it makes you proud of every cop that's out there now. And for each and every one of them, they're not going to quit. They know what's right. They're going to stay and hold the line. And I want you to know that regardless of what happens, um, I will, the SBA will, we will back you every way possible and defend whatever it is that occurs coming your way. So with that being said, stay safe and thanks for watching. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Al. Thanks.